Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And as you are opening your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to be talking today about King Saul. And one thing that we know about King Saul is we saw a man of great promise. We know that this man of great promise had victory. We know that he had a victory against a nation, a very large nation called the Ammonites. And as we see his life, we see him fading into a role of failure. You know, we see this man that had such great promise. And we know that he is reflected of of many. But we know that there are people who start off strong only to see them slowly fading away into failure and destruction. For us as Christians, we know that God has called us to become leaders. God has called us to live in a manner that glorifies Him. We're either going to rise to the occasion or we're going to fall in the occasion. You know, when we look at His life, we're going to see a life of disobedience. So when it comes to us, we can either rise in obedience to God or we can fall in disobedience to His Word. We see many lives of many Christians that flesh out and they're no longer yielding to the Spirit of God. And so as we examine the life of King Saul, it's really a time to reflect on our own lives. Is there a King Saul in each of us? And if so, how can we put this madman to death in our lives? The title of today's message is Examining the Saul in Us. And I want to be bold for a second. There is a King Saul in all of us. Are we going to crucify him or are we going to allow him to live? You know, the choice is always ours whether we will allow King Saul to reign in us or, we, or whether we'll dethrone him from reigning in our hearts. See, each and every one of us, we all have a great future and a great calling. But we can all lose it. We can be like King Saul. And one thing that we'll see today is that as we examine his life, we can learn from his life and we can not following his footsteps. And so, with that, what I want to do is I just want to read chapter 13. And then what we're going to do is we're going to just expand on these verses. And so it begins like this. From 1 Samuel 13, verse 1. It says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in in Gebeh of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, said that Saul had attacked the garrison of Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines 
And the people were called together at, to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand of the sea which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger for the people were distressed. Then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings. Here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. Then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which He commanded you. For now the Lord, who, had, who have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him, about six hundred men. Saul, Jonathan his son, and the people present with him remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp, of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned into the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shuael. Another company turned to the road of Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears, but all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his madoff, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pin for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to pass at Michmash. At Michmash. You know, as we enter into this chapter, I want you to know this. We are entering into the reign of Saul. Saul is now reigning as king. And as we spoke last week, one thing we know is that King Saul had a great victory over the Ammonites. And this victory over the Ammonites ushered the unity of Israel. 
And it also brought forth the coronation of King Saul. And so here we find ourselves in the early reign of King Saul. And with this, let's go ahead and read it. Let's go ahead and expound on every single verse to, to see what the Lord has for us, to see what He wants to share with us. In verse 1 it says this, it says, Saul, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, as we see here, it's the beginning of Saul's reign. It's telling us that Saul has reigned over Israel now for two years. And one thing we know about King Saul is he had the Spirit of the Lord that would fall upon him. And we know that the Spirit of God would fall upon King Saul on several occasions. And we saw one of the, these occasions last week. But as we see today, it's not going to be the case. It's not going to happen today. And as we look at this, I want to remind you of, one, of the victory that he had with the Ammonites. Remember as he called all of Israel to come and to fight against this enemy that wanted to conquer one of their, one of their cities. Remember, there were 330,000 people that came out to fight against the Ammonites. And I only throw this out at you to keep this in mind for the second verse. For it says here in verse 2, it says, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 men were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. So what we have here now is we have King Saul. Think of it this way. King Saul, what we have here is we have the reduction of the army from 330,000 men to 3,000 men. Imagine that. We're talking about 330,000 soldiers. He has reduced the army of Israel to 3,000 men. When I think of this, it, it reminds me of our current administration that has reduced our army to the lowest levels for, uh, for the lowest levels, I believe, since World War II. This is where we're at today. This is, this is what's happening here as Israel has reduced their army from 330,000 men to 3,000 men. And 2,000 of the men are with King Saul in Michmash, as well as 1,000 are with Jonathan, his son in Gibeah. And the rest, as it says there, they were sent home. They were sent away, every man to his tent. As we go to verse 3, it says this, And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistine that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet together, uh, I'm sorry, then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. We are introduced now to Jonathan. This is King Saul's son. And what do we see Jonathan doing? Imagine this, Jonathan has now attacked the garrison of the Philistines. These are the enemies of Israel. What is a garrison? For those of you that don't know what a garrison is, it's a military post. It's where soldiers are stationed. And so they're stationed strategically. And so this was one. And so what we see Jonathan doing is Jonathan takes it upon himself to attack this military post. And the Lord gives him victory over the Philistines. Let's think about this, right? Jonathan went to this military post and he had victory against these Philistines. And as we read, and we're going to come to this at the end of the chapter, 
Imagine this, the only one who had a sword to fight against the enemy was Jonathan. Imagine what a mighty warrior and soldier Jonathan would have been. He was the only one out of his men that had a weapon. And yet he experienced victory as the Lord gave it to him over the Philistines. And guess what immediately happens after this? Immediately what happens after this is that the Philistines are upset. Because war has now been declared on the Philistines. Think of it. Since Jonathan attacked, he attacked the enemy and this declared war on the Philistines. So the Philistines are ready to fight back. And this is why Saul blows a trumpet. King Saul begins to blow the trumpet. And what does he do? He calls all the men to fight. Remember, he discharged 327,000 men. And so now he's calling them all back to fight. And he tells them, let's meet at Gilgal. And so with that, let's move into the next verse, chapter 4. I mean, verse 4, it says this. It says, now all Israel heard it said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and that Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. So we have the announcement. Remember, Saul is the one that blew the trumpet. He's the one that sent men to go out and to tell everybody three things, three messages. One message was that Saul has had a victory as he attacked the Philistine garrison. Imagine this. Did you notice what he said? Saul has attacked a Philistine garrison. When you read in verse 3, who is the one that attacked the Philistine garrison? It was Jonathan. It was Jonathan, but yet we have here King Saul that is stating that he has had the victory. What we see happening here is Saul is beginning to bring himself the glory. He is taking away the victory from his son and he is bringing it upon himself. I want to talk about the first lesson of eradicating King Saul from within us. In other words, of destroying this man that is within us. Because as I mentioned to all of you, there is a King Saul that lives in each and every one of us. And the first thing that we got to be careful of as Christians, as leaders, is that we do not become prideful. Point number one. In order to eradicate the King Saul that is within us, we as Christians cannot become prideful. I want to share this with you that I believe that this is one of the greatest downfalls for any servant of God. When we become prideful in the work that God does through us. I want you to understand this. It is God that works through us. It is God that does a work through us. And God gives us the privilege of being vessels that He uses. Anything that you do for God, believe me, it's not of you. It is God that is working through you. It is your yielding to God. It is you that says, okay, God, work through me. And anything good that comes out of you, anything that you do in the name of Christ that bears fruit and is from His Spirit, 
It is God that is doing it through you. What we must understand is what was told to us from King Solomon, not King Saul, King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth, as he spoke in Proverbs 16, verse 18, where he said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What you see happening here is a downward spiral destruction of the man King Saul, and it begins with pride. What happens is that there are so many people, and I'm going to bring this back to us. I want to bring this back to you and I. I want you to know this, is that there are so many people in our church today whose heads swell when, they, when God begins to use them. Their head begins to grow, their head begins to swell, their hearts begin to be filled with pride when God begins to use them, just like King Saul. And as we think about this, right, remember, it is God that does the work in the ministry. It is God that works in and through us. And I want to share this with you because, see, as Peter reminds us of this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11... In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, he says this. He says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, meaning if anyone serves, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Did you hear that? Let him do it with the ability which God supplies. It is God that supplies. It is God that works through you, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, understand this. Is that God resists the proud. This is what he goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5. He resists the proud but it gives grace to the humble. As Christians we are to walk in humility. You and I are not to be prideful with the work that God is doing through us. It's His work. It's what He does, not what we do. And God is expecting us to walk in humility, to give Him all glory, to give Him all honor, and to really come to a place of humbling ourselves and, and knowing that, that, that we have been chosen by God, that we have been called by God, and that God is using us as a vessel to do His work. See, God cannot use a proud person. And the reason He cannot use a proud person, and if you struggle with pride, understand this, is that you will always take the glory away from God. This is why God can't use the proud person. This is why God can't use you, because you will steal the glory from Him. And we see King Saul immediately beginning to do this. King Saul begins to take the glory for himself, He begins to say that Saul has victory over the garrison, the Philistine garrison. It was actually his son's victory that God did through his son. In reality, it was God's victory, but we see Saul that is claiming it for himself. God cannot share the glory with anyone. And King Saul, there was a time two years back when he realized this. See, Saul at one time realized that it was God that does the work through him. And this is what he said in 1 Samuel chapter 11 verse 13. Where he said that it is, it is God that has brought us the victory. Where he says that it is God 
that has given us this victory. And so as we look at this, right, as we, as we are reminded of this, it's important that we as a people of God, that, that we would not walk in pride. See, Saul started off well, but what happened is things began to change. His heart began to change and he began to take the glory for himself. And Paul again reminds us of this very thing that can happen to us. And he, want, he says this to us as Peter spoke to us and Paul now shares with us that it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 See, it is God who works in you. See, none of us can take any glory for whatever we do in God's name, for whatever God does through us. If we see ourselves taking credit, if we see ourselves becoming prideful, take heed lest you fall, because this was a downfall of King Saul. For us, many of us may say, well, you know what? You know what happens is that many of us will share it. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not that prideful. Or you know what? I, you know what? I'm not... I'm not like that, or, or I don't have that heart that King Saul had. How many of you, when you share with somebody that you become sort of, you know what, so prideful and arrogant, where you begin to say, well, you know what, I brought somebody to the faith. Or I shared with them and I brought them to God. You know what, it is God that speaks through you. It is He that spoke these words. And it is He that was the one that, that shared with them that, he sent His Spirit to convict them and they answered the calling of God. How many of us at work or at our jobs will we begin to take credit for ourselves? Will we begin to say that, you know what? That I got the promotion because of my efforts, because of my hard work. Guess who gave you the talent? Guess who gave you the ability? Guess you, who, who made you the way you are to work hard? To give you the mind that you possess? It's not from you. It's from God. And what happens to many of us is that we begin to take the credit for things that happen in our lives, the good things. And this is pride. And this is what we got to crucify. See, for us, we can't take credit for anything that God does in and through us. You know, athletes that talk about the talents that they have. There are some athletes that do point to God and say, you know what, God be the, to God be the glory. But there are the other athletes that say, you know what, this is me. I did it all, right? I mean, God gave them the speed. God gave them the talents. God gave them the physical abilities. It has nothing to do with them. It's all God that provided these things. And as, we remind, as we're reminded, it is His power, it is His doing, and it is His ability in each and every one of us. As I reminded you, the first message was that, that was given to the nation of Israel was that Saul took the Philistine garrison. The second message that King Saul gives was that Israel is now an abomination. And I want to share this with you. As we look at this, right? Israel is now an abomination, as he said there in verse 4. Israel, what he was saying, has now become the enemy of the Philistines. And as the enemy of the Philistines, war has now been declared on Israel. This is what Saul was sharing with everybody. And then the third thing that he says there in verse 4 is the fact that all men are to go to Gilgal. This is where they're going to meet. They needed a meeting place and he went throughout the nation of Israel asking the men to meet him at Gilgal. So now let's read verse 5 and see what this says. 
It says, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And when they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth Avon. Well, we are now here given the size of the enemy. It says that the soldiers were as the sand of the seashore. In other words, they are saying that there are so many soldiers of the enemy. Imagine this, to have 6,000 horsemen, to have 30,000 chariots, and some say that that's an error in the Bible, that instead of 30,000, it should be 3,000 chariots. Whether it was 3,000 or 30,000, believe me, these are an abundance of chariots. And these are an abundance of men. And this is why the Lord is saying here that the Philistines gathered together to fight. There was a multitude of them. And you know what? I'm sure that King Saul is regretting the decision of sending back 327,000 men. What I want to do now is I want to show you the territory or the kingdom of King Saul. And as I show you the kingdom of King Saul, I show this to you so that you can see really what we're talking about. And you can see all the, the cities and, the, and, the, and, and where the Philistines were. As you see that, can you see it back there or is it too small in print? It's too small. We won't be able to see that. We won't be able to, to reveal it to you. But to, off to the right, as you can see here, and let me, let me just put this here. You see that territory? That's the Philistines there. And that's where they came from, right? They had their, 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 this was their territory. And so what they did is they went to Mikmash right there. And that's where they went. That's where they were ready to battle. And so they go there to Mikmash. And what they do is, is they're ready to fight against the Israelites. And so with that, let's keep reading in verse 6 and see what it says. It says here, when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed. Then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks in holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Imagine this. You have now only 2,000 men that are with Saul. Remember, the 327,000 were sent home, but you have 3,000 men that are with King Saul. And even these men, as they see an army of 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. They're just scared. They're saying, you know what? There's no way that we're going to have victory, right? These men are just going to trample over us. The enemy is going to destroy us. And so what do they do? If we can put up back the, uh, the map. Some of the men, as you can see there, right here, that blue line there, that is the Jordan River. And as we know, they were in Gilgal and they began to cross over. They began to run away. They began to hide in caves and in thickets and holes. They were going everywhere to escape the Philistines. They, were, they wanted to escape the enemy. And so it tells us that Saul is in Gilgal, which is right below Jericho, right there, right off the Jordan River. It tells us that King Saul had, had moved his men from Michmash to Gilgal, and they followed him with trembling. They were, they were trembling as we read there because there was an enemy with a massive army and they were afraid. I want to talk about this for a second because see, whenever there is fear, there is always a lack of faith. I want you to understand this. Whenever fear overcomes you, that means that you are lacking in faith. 
See, faith and fear are opposites. And this is what happened with the people. They forgot about the God that they served. They forgot about the Almighty God that they served. Remember, time after time, God had conquered enemies for Israel. He conquered the Egyptians, right? He allowed the Egyptians to set them free. And when they came after them, remember in the Red Sea? He just trampled all over them. When they went into the promised land, you know what? They fought against the Moabites. They fought against the Midianites. They fought against the Amorites. And every single one of these enemies were destroyed. Even Joshua, when he went into, the, you know, into Jericho, this town, this city had two sets of walls and both of them were like 12 feet high. And no one can ever conquer Jericho, because they had such a defense with the walls around them, imagine, 12 feet high, not just one, but two sets of walls. And yet, they conquered the enemy. Time and time again, God had showed Himself to be stronger than any enemy that Israel faced. Unfortunately, just like Israel, you and I have all short-term memories, don't we? When God does great victories in our lives, what happens to us? We forget about the victories, right? And then we're in fear, right? We're saying, oh no, something else has hit me. And you become fearful and you lack faith. And then God heals you of that, right? And then you're fine for a while and then something else hits you. And then you're like, you're in fear. You're afraid. Forgetting time and time again how God has had victory over your lives. When it comes to these men, they were running from the enemy. How many of us are running from our giants? How many of us are in fear of the trials that we are in? Just like God conquered the enemies for Israel, He will conquer the enemies that we have in our lives. He will fight our battles and He will win the battles that we face. See, our God is a mighty God. And understand this, our God desires to show Himself strong through us. He wants to release His power through us. He wants us to come into a place of, of growing in our faith. And the only way to grow, grow in our faith is to put us through the trials and to allow God to move and, and to allow His victory to happen in our lives. As we move on to verse 8, it says, Then He waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, I'm sorry, let's stop there at verse 8. It says, But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. The reason I want to stop here is because I want to talk about this seven days. See, there was a, an instruction, there was a command by Samuel, the prophet, to King Saul. And he told King Saul, he says, King Saul, I want you to go to Gilgal, and I want you to wait there seven days, okay? I want you to wait seven days, and then when I get there, I will do offerings and uh, sacrifices to the Lord, and then I will tell you what to do. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. And this happened when Saul was chosen to be king, as well as anointed as king. This was like two years back, but I know that Samuel would have been sending messages to King Saul, and sent a message to go to Gilgal and, to, and reminded him of the, of the instruction of wait, waiting seven days. But this verse tells us, as it says there, Samuel didn't come though, and the people were scattered from him. 
The people were scattered from King Saul. In other words, King Saul was seeing his army dwindle. He was looking, he was seeing the troops that were that were walking away, that were slipping away. And the king was scared. And Samuel did not arrive. So let's read in verse 9 and find out what happens next. Verse 9 says, So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. What we have here is we have haste and impatience. Saul takes it upon himself to give sacrifices to the Lord. But as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 10, or as, we, as I mentioned to you, Samuel was the only one that was able to offer sacrifices to the Lord. See, the priests are the only ones that are permitted to offer sacrifices to the Lord. This is what is told to us in the Bible. It talks about this in Leviticus 4. But in the New Testament, it reminds us of this very command that it is only the priest that can do sacrifices. Look at what it says in Hebrews 8 verse 3. It says, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. So as we see there, it's only the high priest. They're the only ones that can do sacrifices. Saul was a king. He was no priest. Samuel, on the other hand, was a prophet, judge, as well as a priest. And we know one thing, that Samuel had the right to offer the sacrifices to God. But yet Saul had no right, but yet he took it upon himself to offer the sacrifices. And when he's doing the sacrifices, guess who arrives? Samuel the prophet. Samuel the judge. Samuel the priest. And so, imagine this. King Saul sees Samuel as he's offering the sacrifices. And without any reservations, without any guilt, without any repentance, you know what he does? He goes. He goes to King. I mean, he goes to Samuel. And I want you to understand this. The instructions from Samuel to King Saul were to wait that Samuel would offer sacrifices, and that Samuel would tell him what to do next. So what you see in King Saul leads me to the second lesson that we learn from Saul. It is, do not walk in dis disobedience. Do not walk in disobedience. See, you and I, I want you to know this, we are disobedient by nature. It is a sin nature that is within us. See, we all have a sin nature. And this nature causes us to be disobedient. And I'm going to share this to you. To remind you of this very truth. Because as children, how many of you have remember your kids when they were small? You didn't te have to teach them how to sin. But yet, what did they do? When you told them, don't cross the street. When you told them, don't grab the candy. When you told them, don't touch that. What's the first thing that they do? Is they do it, right? You didn't have to teach them. Why? Because it is a sin nature within us. Did you know that that was passed down by our parents, Adam and Eve? It is Adam and Eve that brought this disobedience into our lives. And because of them, we have this sin nature. None of us have to be taught how to sin. We just sin. But when it comes to the children of God, remember when we 
surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, what does God give us? He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us a new life. And if we are truly children of God, we obey the Lord, don't we? We obey the one that gave us life. We obey the one that, that has forgiven us, that has died for our sins, that has given us this new life. And this is why Jesus says in John 14, 15, He says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. I want you to understand this, that a sign that we love Jesus is to do as He says. And we know the world that we live in, right? The world that we live in today, it wants to do its own thing, doesn't it? Think of it this way. When we look at the world around us, this world wants to do what it wants to do. It doesn't want to do what Jesus says. It doesn't want to follow what Jesus says in His Word. It wants to do its own thing. And when you look at the world that we live in, this is why you see such pain and sorrow. This is why you turn on the news and you look at crime after crime, murder after murder. You look at stealing, uh, theft after theft. You look at robbery after robbery. You look at, at just all these things that are happening, kidnapping, sexual abuse. You look at all of this. Why? why? Because it's a world that doesn't want to obey the words of God. It's a world that has rejected the Lord. It's a world that says, you know what? I am not going to listen to the Word of God and I'm going to do as I want to do. And this is the state that we live in in the world today. When you look at Christianity, why is there such hostility against Christianity? One of the reasons there is such hostility against Christianity is because we follow what Jesus says. And in following what Jesus says, we bring conviction on people because they don't want to. The people don't want anyone telling them what not to do. They don't want to be convicted of their sin. People don't want to be reminded that, you know what, what I'm doing is sin. The fact that I'm having sex with my boyfriend or my girlfriend is fornication. And that's sin against God. The fact that, you know what, I'm, I'm having an affair with a married man or a married woman. That's called adultery. The fact that, you know what, that, that I want to have, you know what, that I want to I do all these things that are contrary to the Word of God. And, and we're here to say, you know what, in our lives that we're not going to do that. And this brings conviction upon people. And so there's hostility towards the Word, towards the, the people of God. Look at what it says in John 3 verse 19. It says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. As we see here, they rejected Jesus. People don't want their sin exposed. People don't want to hear that they're sinning. This is the way we are as people. But yet for us as Christians... You know what? We want to hear the truth of God, right? We want to be exhorted. We want to hear the truth. We want to know what's right and what's wrong. As Christians, I want, uh, as a Christian, I want you to know this. Before I heard the Word of God being taught verse by verse, chapter by chapter, I had no idea that I was in sin until the truth began to be shared. And I began to realize, wow, you know what? I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. And this is what the truth of God does. It exposes Sins. It tells us what to do and what not to do. It reveals the will of God. It reveals the mind of God. What about Christians? 
Christians that are practicing disobedience or sin. Understand this, just like King Saul. Remember, King Saul was a child of God. King Saul was the anointed of God. King Saul was the chosen one of God. He was a child of God. And yet, because of his disobedience, the life of King Saul was destroyed. You and I must destroy the Saul that is in us. The Saul that is in us that walks in disobedience. See, Saul was blinded to his disobedience. But yet, look at what the Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So you were justified by the name of Jesus when you came to know Him and by the Spirit of God who gave you a new life. And as we see this, as Paul is reminding us that if you're practicing these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. As Christians, if we practice disobedience, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is what the Word of God is telling us. It's nothing that I say, but it's what the Word says. And this is why in Matthew 7, verse 21, the Lord says that there are many that will, call, will say, Lord, Lord. And the, and the Lord is, is going to say to them, even though you call me Lord, Lord, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because you practice these things. Just because you call me Lord. You know what? It did, you didn't show me by... By your actions, you weren't obeying the things that you told me. Just because someone says that Jesus Christ, uh, it, just because someone calls out the name of God or says uh, His name in confessing, his, uh, confessing using His name, doesn't mean that, that you're just going to be saved by that because if you still practice disobedience, if you practice sin, it's not going to wash you because you chose not to follow Jesus as your Lord. You chose not to. Make Him your master. You know, as we go into verse 11, it goes on to say, it says, And Samuel said, What have you done? You know what? Immediately Samuel tells Saul, What have you done? And Saul knows he was disobedient. He, he, he knows that, you know what, that, that I was supposed to wait. Look at what Saul says. When I saw the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. See, as we look at this, right, Saul is giving excuses. Immediately he gives excuses when Samuel tells him, what have you done? Saul says, when I saw the people scattered, when I saw you didn't come, and when I saw all this great enemy, guess what? I decided to make a sacrifice. I decided to just go ahead and do these sacrifices to the Lord. I want you to learn the third lesson that will bring destruction into our lives. The third lesson from Saul's life is to repent when you sin. See, what we see here in King Saul is he constantly makes excuses. He's just like our parents, Adam and Eve. Do you remember what, who Adam blamed when he sinned? He blamed Eve. Do you know who Eve blamed when she sinned? She blames Satan, the serpent. 
See, everybody doesn't want to accept responsibility. It's a sad thing when people constantly make excuses for their sin. See, God cannot work through people that don't accept responsibility for their sin. See, as King Saul, he started with pride. He walked in disobedience. And now he doesn't want to admit guilt. But he blamed everyone else. See, for us, understand this, is that when we sin, this nation has a way of, of just pointing or of not accepting responsibility for our sin. Many people in this world today, right, they'll say, it's, it's my parents, it's my upbringing. Or many people will say it was my spouse or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or, or somebody else. Many people will say, well, you know what, I had to do it for my kid. Or many people will say, you know what, it's the circumstances that I'm in. This is why I'm sinning. You know what, that's a bunch of hogwash. It's a bunch of baloney. Understand this. When you sin, you admit to it and you repent. We are not to be like King Saul, immediately making excuses when we sin. As he said, you know what? You know what, it's, it has nothing to do with me, right? He began to immediately say this. He began to say that it was, it was the, the troops that were leaving. It was the fact that, that Saul, that you weren't coming in. And it was the size of the enemy. You and I must be a people that constantly check ourselves. We must examine our lives. Look at what Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. There is an examination that we are to do. Are we in the faith? Does my life line up to what God says in His Word? If I'm practicing sin, then it's not lining up to it, right? We're not in the faith because our faith produces good works. The evidence of your faith, understand this, will produce good works. And if there's no works in your, in your life, if there's no change, if there's no transformation then you really got to question your faith, whether you're in the faith or not. That's why he says, test yourselves. He goes on to say, do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. You know, as... As Paul is reminding the Corinthians church, as he, the Lord is reminding us, we are not to do evil. You and I are, should not disqualify ourselves. We are to do what is honorable, what is good, what is of integrity. You know, there are many times that you and I are blind to our sin, just like King Saul. King Saul was blinded to his sin of pride. He was blinded to his disobedience, or he didn't want to admit to it, and then he didn't want to repent of any sin. Imagine, this is a blindness that happens to all of us. See, one of my prayers on a daily basis is that God will reveal the sin in me. I do not want to be blind to my sin. I don't want to be like King Saul. I don't want to be blinded to what I do that is sinful. I also pray this for my family, that my family would be able to also see the sin that is in them. You know, none of us are perfect. We are a work in progress and we know that what God has started, He will complete is what His Word says. But in the meantime, we are to be open to the, whole, to, the, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit who reveals sin in us. As it says there, to examine ourselves whether we are in the faith. 
And Saul, as he says, as he begins immediately to make excuses. And look at what, reve- what is revealed about King Saul. As we are here in, in this verse, he says, he says this. He says here in verse 11, he says, When I saw the people. Do you want to know what identifies Saul as walking in the flesh? When he says, when I saw, his eyes were no longer on the Lord. If his eyes were on the Lord, then he wouldn't have been looking at the troops that were deserting him. He wouldn't have been looking at the fact that Samuel wasn't coming. He wouldn't have been looking at the fact that there was this abundance of Philistines that were a multitude of of, of soldiers. His eyes would have been on the Lord and he would have been like Gideon, right? Remember, Gideon just needed 300 men and he destroyed, what was it? How many? It was 320,000 soldiers that were destroyed by God as Gideon kept his eyes on God and walked by faith. But we see here that Saul is looking at himself. Saul is living by sight and not by faith. When we are a people that, is no, that are no longer walking by faith, keeping our eyes on Jesus, living by sight, keeping our eyes on the circumstances around us, you and I will never experience victory. We will have a slow fade, just like King Saul. You know, when our eyes are on our circumstances, we usually tend to make the wrong choices. For those of you that are in trials today, how many of us find ourselves like King Saul, doing our own thing? Think of it this way. Doing our own thing, trying to kill our own giants. Imagine this. It's time, as we see, as we are reading here, it's time to, keep our, to bring our eyes back on Jesus. You know, as we look at King Saul, right, as we, as we see what he's, what's happened here, you know, he admits no guilt, he gives every excuse, and we see one thing is that he's not even sensitive to the, to the Spirit of God because he's walking in disobedience. As we move on to verse 12, it goes on to say this. Then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which He commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You know, as we look at this, right, as we're examining this, Saul immediately says, you know what, I saw the Philistines. They were coming to me at Gilgal. And I needed to do sacrifices. You know what? He was thinking that the sacrifices were a good luck charm, right? He was thinking that, you know what? Just because I do sacrifices and I disobey God, that God is going to be with me. It's like, you know, carrying these, sim- uh, these, these symbols of, of Christianity, thinking that those things are going to save us. It's not. It doesn't work. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, it is God that saves. It is having that right relationship with Him. And we know one thing about King Saul. I want you to know this. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we are given another disobedient, another disobedient act by King Saul. God commands King Saul to wipe out all the Amalekites. And you know what King Saul does? He disobeys the Lord. And he, lead, and he allows some of them to live. He allows king, the king of the Amalekites to live. He allows the choice uh, sheep and choice animals to live. And Samuel arrives again. And we see again King Saul not admitting guilt to his actions. And, king, and Samuel immediately tells him in 1 Samuel 15.22... To obey is better than sacrifice. Understand this. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. For us, we talk about what is our sacrifice. Many people will come to church. Many people will give. Many people will help. But yet, they don't obey. And this is what he's talking about. He's talking about walking in obedience. We're we're talking about the same thing here. And as we... Look at this. I want you to know one thing. As Saul immediately began to offer the sacrifices, you know what he, let, he exercised? He exercised point number four. The fourth lesson from King, King Saul is do not be faithless and impatient. When you are without faith and when you are without patience, this will bring destruction into your lives. When we can't wait or when we lose faith, Understand this, it will bring destruction. Look at what it says in Hebrews 6, verse 12. It says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. When we look at this, right, impatient Saul, understand this, the faithless Saul that is in us will keep us all from the promises of God. When we start taking matters into our own hand, we can be like King Saul. When we stop believing the promises of God, we can be like King Saul. And these are the lessons that we learn from Saul. These are the lessons that, these are the things that disqualified King Saul. And these are the same things that can disqualify us. And as we see here, what the Lord wants is He wants a man. He wants a person. He wants a woman that is after his heart. And we know that it will be David. David is a chosen one that will be the man after the Lord's heart. God wants us to have a heart that is set out for him. What does it mean, as he says there, what does it mean to have a heart after God? I want you to know that a heart after God will desire to do the will of God. It is a heart that sets out to do His will. It is a heart that beats with the Lord's heart. It is a heart that is in harmony with God's heart. See, when we think about this, right, you will have a heart that is sensitive to God's heart. What is important to God will be important to you. If God is asking you to do something, you're going to do it. That's a, God that's, that's, a, that's a person that's after the Lord's heart. If God wants you to do something, you're going to do it. If God tells you to go to the right, you're going to go to the right. If God tells you to go to the left, you're going to go to the left. If God tells you to go straight ahead, you're going to go straight ahead. This is a heart that is set after God. When we look at David, was David perfect? No, David wasn't perfect. Did David sin? Yes, David sinned. But one thing about David that sets David apart from King Saul is that when David realized 
that he sinned. You know what David would do? David immediately would fall to his knees. And David would ask God to forgive him. See, what broke God's heart broke David's heart when he realized it. As he was blinded to his own sin, when he realized that it was a sin against God, what he would do is he would drop to his knees. This is what it means to be a person after the Lord's heart. Do we have a heart to please God? Do we have a heart to do God's will? As we keep reading in verse 15, it says, And Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. Imagine this. 2,400 men, or actually the ones with King Saul, it would have been 1,400 men left him. Remember, he had 3,000, and now he's left with 600. Verse 16 says, Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with him remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. You know, as we look at this, right, we see that they're off to Gibeah, which is west of Gilgal, and the Philistines are there in Michmash. So you see that Gibeah is south of Michmash. And in verse 17, it goes on to say, Then the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned into the road to Ophrah, to the land of Shuel. Another company turned to the road of Beth Horon. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, let the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening was a pin for the, plow, for the plowshare, uh, shares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. What I want to share with you quickly is the Philistines were divided into three companies. Troops were sent to the north, with, which was Ophrah, to the west, which was Beth Horon, to the east, which was in the wilderness of Zeboim. And so the troops are sent everywhere. Imagine this, the thousands of men, the thousands of the enemy that were there, and they were just surrounding the Israelites to conquer them. And we also see that the Philistines had deported every blacksmith that was able to, to make swords and spears. And so what happened is that in order for the Israelites to get their, their farming tools sharpened, they would have to pay the Philistines to do this. So the Philistines manipulated everything. Remember, they were under the rule of the Philistines. And so when, as we began, when Jonathan went to the garrison there in, 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 uh, in Giba, we know one thing is that this was war on the Philistines. So now the Philistine army is coming to fight. And so it tells us here at the end, as I shared with you, so it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. There was only two people that had weapons, and this was Jonathan and King Saul. And then in verse 23, as we finish here, it says, And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Mikmash. What this is saying, basically, is that the military post, it moved towards Gibeah. And this prepares us for next week's battle. 
I want to close with this. As we examine the life of King Saul, let us not become a people that disqualify ourselves by becoming prideful, by becoming disobedient, by making excuses for our sin, by lacking faith and patience. And as we examine the Saul that is in us, let us rip this madman out of our hearts. Each and every one of us can come to a place of allowing Saul to reign in us. And so what I'm going to give you now is I'm going to give you an opportunity. If there is the King Saul in any of you, I'm going to give you an opportunity now to repent. I'm going to give you an opportunity to no longer make excuses for your sin, to no longer blame anyone else, but to make things right with God and to say, yes, I'm guilty. Yes, Lord, forgive me. Yes, Lord, give me a new life. A new life that is walking with power. Power to walk away from sin and to no longer live in it. So I want everyone's eyes to close. I want everyone's head to be bowed. Because I'm going to give an opportunity for you, to each and every one of you to make things right with God. And this is really a personal choice. It is a personal decision. Just like King Saul, he had choices to make. Are you for God or are you against God? Are you one inviting God in? Or you don't want God in your life? You know, as we see that there are many people that didn't want to draw to the light because they didn't want to leave their sin. They wanted to remain in their evil deeds and they hated the light. May this not be any of us. May we come to a place of saying, yes, Lord, you know what? I'm guilty and I need you. I need you in my life. I want to commit my life or recommit my life to you. Because as, as I examine my life, as, as Paul said, you know what, to examine your faith. Are you in it? Are you truly in it? Or are you not? If there's anyone here that wants to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, ask Him into your life. Surrender your life to Him by faith so that He can give you a new life. So that He can give you power, power to overcome sin. So that he can't break the chains that keep you in sin. I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to do this now, raise your hand and we will pray. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Remember, God wants to set every single one of us free. And freedom comes through repentance. Peace comes through repentance. If there's anyone else that wants to do this now, raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anyone else? Before we close, anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Before we close. Anyone else? Lord, you saw this one that raised her hand. And I want you to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin against you. I'm sorry for my disobedience. I'm sorry for missing the mark. And Lord, I just want to recommit my life to you. I want you to wash me and bathe me. Wash my feet, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your love for me. That even though I sin, Lord, you still love me. You still receive me. You're still there waiting with open arms. 
And Lord, I know that this is your grace. This is your mercy. This is true love. And so, Lord, I just thank you and praise you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give me the power to live in obedience. I pray, Heavenly Father, that that you continue to pour out your mercy and your grace upon my life, your favor. And thank you for sending your Son to die for me. Lord, I love you and I praise you and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all.